doesn't hurt to get excited when we sing, does it? Amen. We ought to. Wow. Amen. Well, I've got good news and bad news this morning. And uh, I'll, I'll give you the good news first. Uh, the good news is my message today is very short. In, in fact, my text and my message is one word. That's good news. <laughs> the bad news is I've got a long introduction. <laughs> but I'm not through. The worst news is I've got to introduce the introduction. I don't know if I've ever done that before, but uh, in order to make my point, I feel like that's necessary. I'll explain as we go along. You can be turning to your Bibles in Deuteronomy chapter. Well, just turn to Deuteronomy for now. Before I read my text, I want to say that uh, I'm convinced that more than ever, I need your attention because the message has to do with the matter of attention. I can't remember when I've read more related articles to a subject in getting ready for a message than I did for this. And uh, the good news is I'm not going to try to read all of those. I, I read so many things that I can't remember all of it anyway. But I could spend all afternoon reading articles about the subject of attention. And I'll tell you that it's a subject that is desperately needed everywhere in America. I can remember several years ago, many preachers and teachers, certainly our school teachers, they were all talking about the, the short attention span of, of the children and the preachers talking about people in general. But we've reached a place that is far beyond that. Let me give you some quick quotes. This is what every teacher, every preacher faces is because we're trying to get the truth to, to people. And that's not always easy. One of the first articles I read was A Crisis of Attention by Sam Anderson. And he gave several examples as to, as to why this is a crisis. David Meyer wrote, it's going to get a lot worse than people expect. Meyer also said, this is troubling news, obviously, for a culture of blackberries and news crawls and Firefox tabs, tools that, that critics argue force us into a blind, elective ADHD. Linda Stone, no relation, by the way. She made famous the phrase, continuous partial attention. And that was to describe the, the newly frazzled state of mind that we see with people uh, today. Winifred Galliford wrote a book, and it was about the power of attention. And in it, she, uh, she spoke of this lack of attention and about distractions as jackhammers. And, 
and she said, quote, jackhammers are everywhere, iPhones, email, cancer. The Western culture's attention crisis is mainly a widespread failure to ignore them, Seth Horowitz said. An auditory neuroscientist, that's who he is at Brown University. He's the author of a book called The Universal Sense, How Hearing Shapes the Mind, said, listening is a skill that we're in danger of losing in a world of digital distractions and information overload. David Mathis said in Habits of Grace, cultivating habits of good listening may be one of the hardest things we learn to do, but we find it worth every ounce of grace empowered effect. Now, I mentioned these things to remind you that our culture has changed drastically. For every effect, there is a cause. I happened to run across an unrelated article to this uh, a day or two ago. Wasn't even thinking about the message today, but it was a message that was back, uh, preached back my, about the time I started preaching. And I can remember it so well because you couldn't go to a revival meeting back then without people, preachers, began raging about the evils of TV. They were warning us that it's going to have a drastic effect on our minds, on our families. I got to thinking about that. And I thought, you know, what do we do before TV? I, I often said, I remember seeing the first TV. I remember when we first got a TV. And what we do before that? A whole lot of good things. Us kids get out, and the neighbor kids, and we'd all get out and play. All of the relatives would get together, and they'd pop corn and, and play cards, and you could hear them laugh all the way down the road, and a lot of good things. Families always ate together morning, noon, and night. The family was together around the table. and I didn't aim to drag that into it, but believe me, it is related to what's happened to our families and our attention today. And again, I repeat, for every effect, there is a cause. Our culture, our country, our churches have been changed because there is concerted effort to change us. Movie directors, some of you remember several years ago, I, I, I was preaching a message that somewhat related to this, I guess, and I, I gave some quotes from the movie directors themselves and music producers, advertising agents, and they admit, publicly admit, yes, we have an agenda. You know, and back then when some of this stuff started, I thought, well, you may have an agenda, but uh, it's never going to work. But you know what? They waged a war against culture without us even seemingly being aware of it. And just look at where we are today. There are certain words that of necessity we must mention today that would never be mentioned in a church service. 
The culture has so changed, and believe me, it's getting worse all of the time. And let me tell you, if we only knew all of the effort and all of the money that was being spent directing us away from the things that we hold dear, we would be shocked. Those people, you got to give them credit. They were hardworking. They were persistent. They didn't give up. And everything changes basically in, you could say, just one generation. You see, sometimes problems happen without us ever realizing that they're taking place. And in America, in the lap of luxury, we've been so busy pursuing pleasure that, wow, we didn't pay any attention to that. We weren't worried about back masking on those records. Some of you probably hearing that for the first time. You older folks remember what I'm talking about. See, there's a lot of times that we don't even know what's being fed into our mind at the time it's funnier and enjoyable or whatever. And there's a purpose behind it. I've been preaching lately about the fact that uh, we need to hear God. We need to think about the subjects of attention because God has given us His attention and He expects our attention. And I've mentioned these quotes and all of this simply to point out that people in general are so conditioned as to not pay strict attention. By the way, I think all of us, about the only good listener I really know, I shouldn't say that, but the best good listener I know is my wife. Somebody will make a call and I'll talk to them and they get off the phone and she's, all right, she's, got, she's got a dozen questions ready. No, they just said they were sick, honey. I don't know how long they've been sick. I don't know what they were sick of. I don't know when they're going to the doctor. I don't know that. But she listens and she has questions. And if you're going to talk to her about something, you better sit down because you'll be there a while. Most of us aren't really good listeners, and that's really, really a shame. I mean, you talk... You interact with people probably every day that, and you're trying to relate something to them and it's obvious they're not a good listener. Oh, they're a good talker, but not a good listener. So there are a lot of problems in that area. Now maybe some of you wonder, what in the world does this have to do with that? Well, like I said, we need to think about this subject of attention and I mentioned it because of the fact that not only do we face what man is doing, but please understand that the God of this world, Satan himself, is the movement behind all of this. And Lord willing, everything goes as, it, as I hope it does. In a month or so, I'll be delivering some message about the spiritual warfare that we're in. We need to give our attention to the subject of attention. There's a lot of... By the way, a lot of confusion about what it means to hear or to listen. A lot of confusion. Look in Deuteronomy chapter number 6, and I'll read the context here in just a minute. But before I do, a lot of people think, what in the world are we doing way over there in the book of Deuteronomy, that old boring historical book? And really, a lot of folks lose sight of how important this book is. 
I think a woman by the name of Henrietta Mears probably gave the best overall summation of the book of anyone I've ever read. And yes, I've read those of all of the famous preachers. And she wrote a book many years ago about introducing the books of the Bible. And she said about Deuteronomy, you will come to appreciate the full force and magnetic beauty of Deuteronomy only as you read its pages. Nothing in literature matches the majesty of its eloquence. Nothing in the Old Testament has any more powerful appeal for the spiritual life. No book in all of the Word of God pictures better the life that is lived according to God's will and the blessings shared upon the soul who come into the riches according and the fullness of the living, the rugged pathway of simple obedience. If you want a taste of heaven on earth, become familiar with Deuteronomy. Now that raving review probably would shock a lot of people, but the thing that makes this so important is that it shows us the revelation that God declares, the response that God deserves, and the responsibility that God demands. That's what you see when you study the book of Deuteronomy. And the centerpiece of the whole book is right here in chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all of thy soul, and with all of thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates." It's kind of like saying, I'll put, put them up on the refrigerator so everybody can see it. What makes this so important is that the Jews call this the Shema. And that's based on this first word, hear. Hear, O Israel. To them, this was the most important passage in all of the Old Testament. It was the first portion of Scripture to be memorized by all of the Jewish children. It was considered to be the supreme confession of their faith. And in every synagogue, they opened the service with the recital of the Shema. The rabbinical law required that it be read by everyone at least twice a day. And every devout Jew put that in practice. You see, it served as a reminder of the first and the second great commandment. It's called the most important prayer in Judaism. But I want you to notice verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And believe me, there is so much in that one statement. I could spend the next 20 or 30 minutes just talking about that. It's said to be the most single, indispensable verse in the Bible by many scholars. And I wish I had time to delve into it and give you all of the, the details there. But I want you to notice is that it begins with the word here. 
Now, it seems to me that he could have just stated the facts, just jumped right into the facts. He could have said, oh, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, etc. But he, he didn't do that. And believe me, I, in thinking about this message, I've, I've never heard even this part mentioned or read about in all of my research Never. Why did the Shema start like this with here? Why not just get into the facts? Now believe me, God put this in the order that He wanted it to be in. This is not an accident. It's God addressing the need for us to hear Him. And so every time they quoted the Shema, the first word was what? Here. It was a reminder. God designed it that way because He knew that people are reluctant to hear and they're apt to forget. Boy, if you don't believe that, just read anything about Israel. Wow, over and over again. You see, God knows what we need better than we do. And just as the law was given for our benefit, a lot of folks have never figured that out yet, but believe me, there are several reasons. The law was given for our benefit. God's not some party pooper that just wants to zap you of all of the fun in life. Those laws are for your good. Thou shalt not this and that and so forth. It's for our good, our benefit. And even so, here we find as he is summing all of this up in in this statement, it's all about man hearing the will of God. The will of God which is always right, it's always best, it's always safest. And therefore our great need is what? To know the will of God. Because if we don't know the will of God, we're stuck out there on an island somewhere without a map, road map, or compass, or Anything. What are we going to go by? How are we going to regulate our life? How are we going to know what's good and what's bad? But to know the will of God, what? We must know the Word of God. You know, just telling somebody, well, I know this is right because Brother Stone said so. Don't you ever do that. It's right or it's wrong because of what the Bible says. And all we, Brother Kenneth, all we can do is tell you what the Bible says. So there is the need for us to know the will of God by getting in the Word of God. But as, listen, as valuable as the Word of God is, it's only helpful to people that truly hear it. It doesn't do any good just sitting on a shelf somewhere or under your arm or in your hand. If we're going to find, you know, the help and the hope and the happiness that we all say that we want, if we're going to find it, then we're going to have to get into the Word of God. The great need of the hour is learning to listen. To honestly hear what God says. That's what we see in the Shema. It means, and listen carefully to what I say the next several minutes especially. This word Shema means hear or listen, but that means more than what people think. 
It means pay attention. It means focus on. It means understand, obey, respond to what is said. Over in Exodus 19 and verse number 5, over there we see that it equates to listening to him with keeping the covenants made by him in view. See, in the Hebrew language, there is no distinct word for obey. Now, you know, we could, might have looked at that, and if, uh, if the translators had some, some reason to decide, let's start with obey. That's the word that is used here. It's Shema. It means not only to hear, that, to tune in, but it has to do with obeying. And anytime you see that, that word here in the Old Testament, it means to obey anywhere. God's never satisfied with us just hearing it in the sense you know, that we just sit passively by and we let the, the wave, sound waves, enter into our ear canals and really pay no attention or have no great desire to obey what we just heard. And you see, a lot of times people sit through a church service and they will think or they'll claim that they're listening to God when really they're not because they hear the words and it's a serious problem when all we do is to hear the words. But it goes no further than that. Somebody will say, well, I memorized the Bible. That's good. That's great. Hide God's Word in your heart. That's a good thing to do. But believe me, you can memorize the words of the Bible, but you're not doing what God says here. When He says, Hear, O Israel, He's not saying, I want you to memorize all of these verses, and then I want you to recite them. The word Shema has to do with receiving and responding to what God says. James said something like that, did he not? James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now look at the first two verses here in this chapter. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son and all of the days of thy life, that, thou may, that thy days may be prolonged. Wow. And if you look on at verse 4 and 5, and I'm going to take time to read it, but you look on and, and you see here the results of this robust living that he's talking about there. He's given them this land, go in, possess it. I want you and your kids and your grandkids and all of you to reap the benefits of it. And here in verse 4 and 5, it tells us the word to love God sincerely with all thine heart. We're to love God selflessly 
with all of thy soul. We're to love God strongly with all of our might. And I don't have the time to deal with all of these verses in the chapter here, but look all the way down to verse 25, the last verse, because it sums it up by showing us that the theme of all of this is obedience. It's not just hearing as we think of hearing. Verse 25, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as He hath commanded us. You could call this the precept of performance. The precept, the teaching, the doctrine, the requirements of God that we are to practice that which we have been taught, that which God has said. Let me tell you, no life is well lived and no man is a true success unless he can follow in the path of righteousness. It makes no difference what else you accomplish in life. If we're not walking in the path of of righteousness, we're, we're out of bounds. We're trespassing. Maybe you well, preacher, what is this all about? I'll tell you what it's all about. God blesses those who do His will, and I don't want you to miss out on it. It's so easy to go in and just sit and listen to a sermon. Well, I say it is. Sometimes it's not so easy. I look out here, and I honestly can say most of you attend church on a regular basis. I can say that God's Word is proclaimed by someone every service here. The question is, do you hear what is said? How many of you were in Sunday school this morning? Great. Did you really hear what was taught? You don't have to raise your hand. Oh, I just want you to think about it. Did you, did you really hear? Now I'm talking about the hearing that is exactly the same as obeying. Remember, there's no designated word for obey in the Old Testament. None. It's the same word that's used for hear. So when God says hear, He's saying obey. And we need to ask ourselves, did I really hear what was said? I didn't ask you to remember the message I didn't ask you to recite the scripture. I'm asking you, did you really receive the message you heard this morning? And I ask you because there are some that are here, H-E-R-E, some that are here who do not hear. And it happens every week. And if we're not careful, it's liable to happen to any one of us. We sense the audible sound of the words, but there's the failure to obey. The unwillingness to practice what we preach. And when I say this, I'm I'm not saying that people are rude. I understand that, that sometimes, and I've been in situations where people have literally gone to sleep during the message. There were times it was due to maybe to medication or something, or they were sick. That's fine. That's, I don't have a problem with that. I have a real problem with young people, especially. They just, you know, they're off in another world, and you can tell it. 
Let me say this. By the way, you can't always tell it. You think you do. I remember when Jason was growing up, and I always thought, that kid, he's not, he's not listening to me. He, not that he was talking, because he always basically sat with his mom. He, he knew he couldn't get by with talking or anything. She'd grab his ear or slap him upside the head or something, and he knew better than that. But I could tell he's off in space somewhere, so I made it a habit later on to ask him, do you really listen to know what I was preaching about today? Yep. And he did, didn't look like he was. But listen, there are some folks that look like they are when they're not. I mean, their eyes are just glued on you and you think, oh, they're hanging on every word. They're really liking this. They're getting this. They want to do this. No. That's not the case at all. And we know it. So I'm not, I'm not saying that if you're failing in this area, that you're just being rude. I'm not even saying that you're being rebellious. I'm simply saying that just because we think we're listening, it doesn't mean we are. And if people are really, truly hearing the message, they will be affected by it. And remember when I say hearing, I'm talking about hearing as God speaks of hearing. And that's the way we ought to think about hearing. There'll be a change that'll take place. You, you cannot focus on the Word of God with the intent of doing the will of God without there being changes in your life. Suppose after the service... There was a reporter from one of the newspapers standing outside the door there. He didn't want to come in and be a part of the service, but he's standing out there and had an assignment. He was going to take a survey and find out, you know, what was going on. And so as you walk up to him, he says, sir or ma'am or whatever, may I ask you a few questions? I, could you remember what the, the service was about today and why, why it was important or anything about it? I wonder. That, listen, most of you could give an accurate account of the message. Some of you could even quote some parts of the message. And there are some that could even say, well, here's the outline. I can go, I can go make you a copy of the outline. I say that, but people don't do that much anymore. 90% of the churches that I preached in when I started preaching, 90% of the people would be out there. Let me move that down to 75%. Would be taking notes when anybody was preaching. It was just what they did. It's what, that's what I started doing when I, as soon as I got saved, trying to get it down. Maybe you don't ever need to take notes. That's okay if you got that good of a memory, but you could say to the reporter, Here, here's, here's the notes I took. But that doesn't mean you really got the message. There's no change in the attitude, no change in the actions. And here's the thing about it, folks. God holds you and I responsible for what we hear with the ear. 
He does. In fact, he even holds us responsible for what we could have heard. You say, I don't have to worry about being responsible for what Brother Stone said today. I didn't listen. I got those little AirPods in. I'm listening to something else. Believe me, you had the opportunity, and God's going to hold you responsible. I wonder if I just maybe started reading uh, different verses that came to my mind in the Bible here and, until finally, I'm just reading randomly, you know, through the Bible. And finally, I come to a particular verse or a phrase, or maybe it's an outright command. That boom, all of a sudden, your antenna goes up. Because it points out a failure in your life. You don't think I can find one that gets to you? Oh, I bet I can. You want, you want me to kind of start on a list of things I could mention that you're guilty of? Someone here is. And the same thing's true of me. But the question is, what do we do about it? How do we respond to it? The Bible says overcome evil with good. The Bible says, well, I said I wouldn't make a list, didn't I? It's hard not to, isn't it? Because some of this stuff is tough. Paul found that out. He said, I wouldn't have known anything about the law because I thought I was checking all the boxes. I was doing great. I, 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 I had it made. Come down to that one said, Thou shalt not covet. And he said, It slew me. It killed me. That's the one that got me. You see, there's something in the Bible that gets all of us because it reveals to us just how sinful we are. And if you think I'm just nitpicking, you really haven't been listening. Because I'm not, this is, this is serious, and we need to come to church with the attitude that says, I, I, I don't want anything to distract me from the Word of God. I don't want anything to deter me from doing the will of God. And if we all attend church and we listen to the Word of God being preached and being taught, I guarantee you that it'll make a difference in our lives. We not only will be better, we'll be happier. And I pray that we all leave here today better than, than when we came. And if that's not what we want, why are we here? I mean, we assemble in, to exalt Christ. But we assemble not only to exalt Him, but to edify the saints. We have a response, that is to build them up, to edify them, help them grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now with all of that in mind, let me ask you a question. How long has it been since a message from God's Word, whether it was in Sunday school, whether it's been in a church service, Hawana class, when's the last time you heard a message that made a noticeable change in your life. Here, God says. In other words, obey, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. 
That's a summons from the one with all authority. How dare we think that we can get by ignoring him? Because those who don't pay attention pay a price. When God says here it's for our good, it's for his glory, and the best thing we can do is to do God's will rather than shortchange ourselves. We either yield ourselves to the Lordship of Christ or we don't because there's no middle ground. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either doing my will or you're not doing my will. That's why we can't afford not to obey him when he speaks to us. Can you honestly say that you are not just hearing with the ear, but obeying God when it comes to loving Him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. I mean, you get up every day and that's the reason you're living. You see that as the purpose of your existence. That's your, the heartbeat of your life. The thing that brings you joy to love the Lord thy God. And remember, in loving the Lord thy God, that's when all of a sudden, remember Jesus said in the second cycle, the first. You say you you can't really keep one without keeping the other. If we really love God, what happens? It affects everything about us and as we relate to others. Responding to Him in obedience as the Lord of our life. If we do that, then everything else just falls into place. And our question ought to be, Lord, what will Thou have me to do? Remember Paul, Saul of Tarsus. said, Lord, who art Thou? I'm Jesus, whom Thou persecutest. The next question was, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I hope right now that you're asking yourself, Lord, what are you saying to me this morning? It might be something you heard six months ago. Seemingly, it might not be related to the message today. You see, the Word of God's unlike anything ever been written, it's alive. And when you read it, and even if you run from it, it goes with you. It'll run you down. It'll make you miserable and bring you under conviction. And all of a sudden in a service like this, and you came with an intention of just, I'm going to hope I can enjoy the service today. Hope, hope Brother Stone doesn't get off on this sin or that sin. And, and all of a sudden... Like a sword. And remember the word of God is what? The sword of the spirit. And it is just plunged into your heart. Right about now maybe. Reminding you. Of some area of disobedience in your life. Oh you say but preacher I'm already a Christian. I, that, I know. I know. And that's why Martin Luther was right about one thing. We need to repent every day. He had that right. And it's true. 
One of our problems is this. We get accustomed to not dealing with our sins promptly. I already said many, many years ago, one of the best ways to overcome a sin in your life is to practice confessing it the minute you commit it. You know, you say, well, I've always had a habit of saying those dirty words, you know. Next time you do, just stop right wherever you are and say, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I, whatever the sin is, if we're going to defeat it, we've got to start dealing with it instead of just putting it off. James said, what? Confess your faults one to another. Whoa, wait a minute. It's not James, confess your fault to God sometime next few days. Confess your faults one to another. That means they're assembled, right? And pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now here's the question. When do you ever do that? Now I know we've got some Baptist brethren that are so uptight that it's a burr under their saddle if you happen to call this here these steps an altar. Well, I it doesn't bother me one bit and call it an altar. I, altar's a good place for something to die on. And that's what we need to do, die to self and be alive unto God. You call it whatever you want. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Oh, you said, but we don't have time to do that. We we be time for lunch. When are we going to deal with those issues in our life? I can almost guarantee you there's people sitting here today, even young people, they don't have cancer. heart disease, or any of those dread things. But they are so troubled about something. Might be something that you'd never guess in a thousand years, but they are troubled and they're carrying a heavy burden. Or it might be someone that's older. I remember I started to write an article one time on aging. Boy, I didn't, that didn't last long. I thought, no. I'm not even going to go there. I'm still learning. But what I'm saying is, you know what you ought to do? You ought to just come and unload. Don't worry about people getting out early or what they're going to think. Get on your knees where you are. Go out here to one of these rooms where there's no, whatever, but deal with it. So I will when I get home. No, you probably won't. You'll put it off and put it off and put it off, and that's why you just keep carrying the problem along with you. We say, preacher, I have been many times. I felt like just just coming up there and collapsing on the altar and pouring my heart out to God, but it's so scary. 
Ask somebody to come with you. Just nudge that person next to you and say, would you go, would you go up there with me? It might be some other matter entirely different that I, we haven't even thought of. But some business that you need to do with God. When would ever there be a better time than right now to, to act on it? When God speaks, He expects instant obedience. And maybe something this morning that Brother John or Brother Rick or one of our other teachers taught something in that message. And believe me, in the book of Romans, you're not going to stay there long without something getting under your hide. And God just worked you over good while that was going on. They were teaching that. What are you going to do about it? Hear, O Israel. And as sure as God said, Hear, O Israel, meaning obey me, O Israel, every time we open this blessed old book, God's saying, Obey me. Obey me, Lakeway. Obey me, young man, young lady. Obey me, senior citizen. Obey me. Would you be willing to do right now whatever it is? I, I don't know what it is. Whatever God is speaking to your heart about, would you do it right now? We're going to give you that opportunity and have the invitation. Brother David's going to come. Father, how we thank you for giving us your attention. And Lord, I just have never been able to really get over that. You love us in that while we are yet sinners. Lord, you've given us your attention. You gave your son. You gave us the scriptures. You gave us everything that we need to find what we've been searching for all of our life. And that's that satisfaction of knowing that all is well. Not just now, but for eternity. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for teaching us or we would never, ever know what you expected or what we really needed. And Lord, if there's someone here today that's unsaved, help them to realize that they can't walk that road of righteousness that that was referred to, they can't possibly do it because righteousness comes only by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. And their need today is not to do better. Their need is to be born again. And I pray they'll trust Christ right here, right now, this morning. For we beg it in His dear name. Amen. While we stand,